Good morning. That's a good prayer, isn't it? So uh, let's, let's sit down. Uh, we've prayed, prayed that prayer as we've sung. Uh, please do open um, up the Bibles again, page 1090 uh, for John 21, page 1090. Continuing our uh, series looking at uh, Peter, uh, events from Peter's life uh, and his teaching I wonder, how do you like a book or a film uh, to end? What is your sort of preferred way things uh, end? We have quite different views in our house, which often leads to tension when selecting a film. So, uh, Nikki, my wife, likes things to be quite neat, sometimes predictable, a sort of happy ever after type of ending, the kind of Disney ending, uh, the kiss, the sail into the sunset, is a sort of perfect uh, ending. I think for me, I often prefer messier unpredictable things, often tragic ends to films. I don't know why, I just like that, psychoanalyze that. Um, But I find that kind of ending unexpected a bit more gripping uh, sometimes. And I think in many ways, John's gospel has quite an unexpected ending to it uh, with this uh, chapter, chapter 21. Because John... John finishes his gospel in a different way to how perhaps you'd think it would end looking at the end of chapter 20. So if we'd ended at the end of chapter 20, it would have been very neat. We kind of got the declaration uh, of Thomas there, the kind of victory and faith uh, declaration. My Lord and my God, as Jesus is identified. Uh, We've got the words of uh, John in, in verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then we have this kind of coda, or this sort of epilogue uh, to the gospel. But actually, it's key. It's not there by an accident, because John is taking us out into the dawn uh, of the church. Uh, So we don't end the gospel by Thomas and the disciples saying, I believe, and everything ends happily ever after. Uh, Instead, we've got Thomas and the disciples. We see they get the point they move on out, and they go on to lead such lives of transparency and integrity and self-sacrifice that they change uh, the course of human history. And Peter is uh, at the heart of that. I think this passage is all about making us uh, authentic Christian uh, servants, people who are full of love, full of wisdom, full of humility, uh, full of sacrifice. I think if we're Christian, the Holy Spirit gives us that longing, doesn't it? At the deepest level, that is what we want. That's the life we want to lead. And yet we're a long way from it. Time and again, uh, we fall short. I think this passage helps us. I just want to draw two lessons uh, on Christian service from uh, this passage. This deeply moving uh, encounter between Peter uh, and Jesus. I think the first lesson is this. We need to be refreshed by Christ. We need to be refreshed uh, by Christ. The the first 14 verses of this passage are a section, they're bookended, did you notice, by the phrase, Jesus appeared to his disciples, uh, verses 1 and 14. And in in this section, Jesus reveals himself to them, more evidence, yes, uh, of the reality of the resurrection. But Jesus also shows us Uh, What a wonderful shepherd, what a wonderful servant uh, he is. We're told, aren't we, here, there are seven of Jesus' disciples, verse 2, and top of the list, number one, is Simon Peter. 
Uh, And true to form, Peter takes the initiative, doesn't he, verse 3? I'm going out to fish, he says. And and other disciples say, yeah, we'll we'll come too. We'll we'll go with you. I think one of the striking things uh, about this passage is how Peter is all action. Do you notice that? How he is always on the go uh, with action. I'm going out to fish, verse 3. It's it's Peter who impulsively uh, jumps into the water. Literally, he throws himself, is what it means, into the water, verse 7. Having put his clothes on. Interesting. The the other disciples, they sensibly follow uh, in the boat. It's Peter, verse 11, who who climbed aboard and dragged the net on shore. Peter is at the front, all action, all go. I don't think it's reading uh, too much into this passage to say that Peter is marked by a degree of restlessness. I think restlessness. Just remember, as Margaret said, three times Peter had denied Jesus at that crunch moment uh, in in the courtyard, and the cock crowed. He's not yet been publicly restored, not yet been recommissioned by Jesus. So I think him and the disciples, they're probably restless. Uh, Probably why they went fishing again for the first time in a long time. What is the mark of a person who is restless, who has no purpose, who's out of fellowship uh, with Christ? It's restlessness. Uh, We throw ourselves into activity uh, if we're restless. We, We focus on tasks and we focus on busyness. And yet, what does that do? That generates only more frustration. We long to get, don't we, to kind of rest and satisfaction. And yet, somehow, we never quite seem to get there. I think often life feels, doesn't it, a bit of a treadmill uh, of activity. So we kind of set goals, uh, we achieve goals, we feel good uh, for a bit. And then, kind of somehow again, we feel a bit empty. And so we kind of repeat the process all over again. And, and yet we kind of end up feeling a little bit empty uh, again at the end. Somehow satisfaction in the best things the world has to offer only ever seems uh, to be fleeting. We look for satisfaction because we're restless. Augustine once wrote this. These are well-known words. O oh Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That is true uh, of non-Christians, but it is also true, isn't it, for those of us who are believers, uh, who are trusting uh, in Christ. It is so easy to substitute activity uh, for faithfulness, to to kind of avoid uh, fellowship with Christ and substitute busyness uh, instead. I'm certainly expert uh, at that. I think it usually happens like this. I become restless uh, through sin uh, and neglect. And I kind of throw myself into activity. I work harder. I do more with the children. I buy something that I want. I go out into the garden. But whatever it may be. But deep down, it doesn't actually satisfy. Uh, and I avoid uh, coming back to Christ. I don't really want to face up to what I know is wrong. It's basically pride. And throughout 
What is usually the case, or always the case? The Bible stays shut, and it stays on the shelf. Peter is a believer here. He is a disciple. He is between denial and recommission. His heart would have longed, wouldn't it, for fellowship uh, with Christ. He'd have longed for purpose in his life. But he goes and seeks relief here uh, in action. What is the outcome uh, of Peter's activity, verse 3? It's nothing. That night they caught nothing. He's got a wasted, a fruitless night, probably only adding uh, more frustration into the mix. What is the answer? What is the answer to this tension that we all feel? Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. The answer is refreshment uh, with Christ. Jesus is all about refreshment, isn't he, in these verses? All about refreshment. He is the servant Lord. He is preoccupied with serving them, putting together breakfast for them. Remember, in the upper room, before the cross, Jesus served his disciples. He washed their feet. On the cross, he died for them to forgive them their sins. And now here, in the resurrection, he serves again. He is concerned for their refreshment. Haven't you any fish? Jesus asked, verse 5. Wonder what tone that was asked in. No, they monosyllabically answer, probably with irritation. So Jesus tells them, throw the net on the right side of the boat, and they catch so many that are unable to haul the net in. Got a fire of burning coals with fish and bread prepared, verse 9. Bring some of the fish you've caught, says Jesus, verse 10. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast, verse 12. And Jesus took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Verse 13, Jesus serves. This is a picture of Jesus serving. And the disciples, they know it is the Lord, verse 12. In a moment, we're going to see that that Jesus turns to Peter and he speaks to him uh, about being a shepherd. And here in this section, we have, don't we, Jesus being uh, the perfect uh, shepherd, Like a good shepherd, he cares for his sheep. He sticks with them. He wants to bring in the stragglers. Jesus always models first. So often we say, don't we, one thing, and we do another. But not Jesus. It always goes together. What he says and what he does goes together. I think some of us here are are tired. We're jaded. Uh, Perhaps we're exhausted. Uh, We're doing lots of things. Things might look okay uh, on the surface. It's only the case for me, but we're dry and we're dissatisfied. It's not a great place to be, is it, for joyful uh, and faithful Christian service. We need to remember, don't we, the words of the psalmist. What does the psalmist say? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Jesus brings refreshment. He wants to refresh us. We need to go to him for refreshment. We need to stop 
sometimes. Just open our Bibles uh, and spend time uh, with him. Perhaps you're thinking, I've I've just made too many um, mistakes. I can't stick it out uh, anymore with the Christian life. It's just too, at times, discouraging. You despair with yourself. You think, I'm I'm a failure. Other people know it. Well, Well, not Jesus. That is not what Jesus does here, is it? Here Jesus finds his disciples. He finds Peter, especially, in the midst of their failure, in the midst of their need, and he refreshes them, gives them a catch of fish, gives them breakfast. If we're called by Jesus, we are, we are never cut adrift. We're never cast away from him. Some of us here will have been called, and we will have failed in the little things this week, in the bigger things that may have gone on. But we can come back We need to be refreshed uh, by Christ. That's the only way that we'll be able um, to go on, to draw near to him, to be restored. That is the key uh, to being refreshed. And we'll be different people, won't we? If we do that, we will be transformed uh, people, people whose Christian witness is more faithful, uh, is more vibrant, is more transparent, is more magnetic, so much more powerful than doing uh, lots of things. We'll be people who draw others uh, to their risen Lord Jesus, who bring glory uh, to his name. We just need to get to know Jesus better. So often you get to know somebody more and more, and you like less and less what you see. That's never the case with Jesus. The more we get to know him, uh, the more we will love him. We need to have breakfast uh, with Jesus. We need to be refreshed uh, by Christ. I think, second, we need to be reinstated uh, by Christ. We need to be reinstated uh, by Christ. Just think back. Think back to what Peter had said uh, during the Last Supper. He must have winced. He must have cringed uh, looking back at what had happened. Even if all fall away, I will not, says Peter. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you, uh, he said. <sighs> Spiritual pride. I'm better than the others, uh, he says. Probably didn't make him popular. Particularly when it ends up just being all talk. What did Peter actually do? He he slept instead of praying. uh, Went on the Mount of Olives. He went off on his own and followed at a distance uh, behind Jesus. He denied Jesus three times in the courtyard. He didn't even have the courage to tell a servant girl servant girl, that he'd been with Jesus. How painful that must have been for Peter when Jesus turned and looked at him at that moment, straight at him uh, at the third denial. No wonder he went out and wept bitterly. This is, isn't it, the same kind of spiritual pride that overcomes us uh, time and again. We think we can cope uh, without praying. So actually, prayer doesn't really feature in so much of our daily life. We decide, you know, I don't really need other people. I don't really need fellowship. I don't need to be part of a group. I don't need to commit particularly to serving and plugging into a fellowship. Just come along week on week. 
And we actually end up denying Christ, don't we, by our actions and our words. We go AWOL at the moment when it really matters. We go anonymous at that crunch uh, point. What was true of Peter is surely true uh, of us. Times we're prayerless, we're anonymous, and we're cowardly. We need to be reinstated uh, by Jesus, not just once, but daily uh, reinstated. The Christian life is all about fresh uh, beginnings. That is partly why we have a confession uh, each week. We need to be recommissioned again and again, daily, um, by Jesus. It's great, isn't it? How how does Jesus reinstate uh, Peter? It's good, isn't it? He puts his arm around him and says, Peter, the other night, forget about it. We're sorted. Fine into the future. Except he doesn't, does he? What what does Jesus do? Jesus forces Peter to relive his, his spiritual pride. He forces him to relive his prayerlessness, his cowardice. And he does it by asking the most penetrating uh, of questions. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Not an intellectual question, is it? it Jesus goes straight for Peter's heart. Peter, do you love me? What is the state of your heart? Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Both conversations over a fire. Jesus takes Peter back. He reminds Peter, doesn't he, of the bravado of the Last Supper, verse 15. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? He's replaying Peter's words from the Last Supper. So what about it now, Peter? What about it now, eh? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus asked him again, verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. No wonder he's hurt for the third time Jesus asks him, verse 17. This is agony uh, for Peter. The last thing he wants to do is to go back and replay this denial of Jesus again and again. So he says, verse 17, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus deliberately asks Peter the same question three times. He hurts Peter here. Why does Jesus do that? This this surely can't be Jesus being thoughtless or careless. Jesus doesn't do thoughtless or careless, does he? Jesus never apologizes for anything he says because nothing he says warrants an apology. So we can assume that that Jesus deliberately wounds Peter here. Why is that? I think Jesus knows that it's only when we face up to who we are, to our sins, that we can know. We can know the joy of forgiveness we can know the joy of reinstatement. I think what Jesus is doing here is he is removing, he's stripping back, if you like, layer on layer of self-pretense uh, that Peter has, has got. Peter can't ignore it, 
He can't just shrug stuff off. Jesus confronts Peter with the truth until he is so hurt that he cries out, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Only at that point is Peter truly ready for service and all that Christian service brings, to be a shepherd. Only after he has seen the depth of his sin does he see the privilege of forgiveness and of reinstatement. Peter is a failure, isn't he? But such is Christ's forgiveness, such is Christ's generosity, that he hands over his flock uh, to Peter's care. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. What an awesome responsibility uh, for a failure. Of course, what we know, don't we, about Peter's life uh, from this point on is that he shows he never forgot the privilege of that, of that forgiveness and that reinstatement. He, he never lost sight uh, of that. He didn't forget uh, the privilege of the Christian work he had to do. It just shines through his life and his writings. It shows through in his New Testament letters. Yet Jesus warns Peter how costly this will be, this service will be, verse 18. I'll tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. That that phrase, stretch out your hands, means only one thing uh, in the Roman world. It meant crucifixion. Uh, So as he hears these words, Peter knows that ultimately he will face the same painful death uh, of Jesus. And that is, of course, what happens to him. It's a great irony in many ways in this passage, because if you go back to Mark uh, chapter 8, have a look perhaps after the service. Peter tried to turn Jesus away uh, from the cross. Now what happens, he faces up to the cross and a lifetime of, of sacrificial uh, Christian service because he understood. He understood what Christ had done for him. He got it through this conversation. Perhaps every day he would have woken up thinking, you know, will that be today that my life ends uh, in that way? He writes about the reality of his death. 2 Peter 1, but he understands the depth of forgiveness and because of that he's transformed for service. Transformed. He follows Jesus. I was reflecting at the end of this week why is it we get grumpy about church? Why do we whinge about and criticise one another? Why at times don't we want to serve? Or begrudge at serving? What stops us committing uh, to each other in love and self-sacrifice? Surely at the deepest level it is this, isn't it? It's because we've not grasped. We've not grasped the depth of our sin and we've not understood, truly understood, the great privilege 
of our reinstatement. Peter was so grateful. He was so grateful for the forgiveness he'd found and the privilege of a lifetime of sacrificial service. Are we as grateful as Peter? To be authentic Christian servants, we need to give ourselves daintily, sacrificially in service, to be refreshed by Christ each day, to have breakfast with him, to open our Bibles and spend time with him. We need to know what it is to face our sin, but to know the wonder of being reinstated and being forgiven and being trusted with Christ's work. Let's come back to Christ. Let's be refreshed. Let's be reinstated. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a beautiful passage, a very moving passage. And I would do thank you for Peter and the way that you worked in his life, the way that he was transformed for service. He recognized and knew who he was, but he knew the glory, the glorious uh, forgiveness and reinstatement uh, that you gave to him. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand more deeply the depth of our sin, but the glorious forgiveness and reinstatement that you give us. And Lord God, we pray that you would transform us for service, that we may be more effective Christian servants, leading lives that shine the love of Jesus Christ more effectively and faithfully and transparently, Day by day we pray. Amen.